Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. A 2-1 pitch. And a drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. A game-winning grand slam home run off the bat of Robin Ventura. Hey. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. Turner drives one to center, chasing Nimmo back to the warning track right at the fence. He made the catch! Oh, wow! The catch of the year from Brandon Nimmo! He took a home run away from Justin Turner! Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in 10, 9, Episode 24, this is the Shea Hello Podcast. My name is Casey Lynn. I am joined by my co-host, former Major League pitcher Bill Pulsifer. We have Stephen White, our producer, in the back as well. And today is a special, very special episode. Before we get to our guest, uh, this episode is brought to you by Roots-Recordings.com. And... Without further ado, because this is big, I would love to welcome Mets Hall of Famer Doc Gooden to the podcast. Welcome, Doc. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. Happy to be on here. Meet you guys' audience. So, uh, been a exciting year so far. Definitely looking forward to more things to come. Yes, yeah. uh, Bill. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. I got my, uh, you know, my boyhood idol on on, uh, on a podcast with us. Get to hear some. Some nice Doc Gooden stories, which I always love. Yeah, uh, Bill. Obviously, you're you got your like you just said your childhood uh, idol right right here, um, and uh, we get to talk shop for you know a half an hour or so. So um, I'm looking forward to it, and sure. uh, you know, let's get right into it, Doc. Uh, your numbers being retired in April, man. Um, it, it, tell us about the feelings, the emotions. Your number sixteen at City Field for the rest of time, no one else in Mets history will wear it. You know, the thing about that, like you see different guys, like um, that happened, and that's the highest honor you can be given by a team. And I'm very fortunate. I look at that day as a celebration. And what I mean by that is um, the fans who been with me from day one in 84 when I came into the league, they've been with me through my ups and downs on the field, at the stadium, cheering me on. Many times they could have turned their back, but they hung in with me. And that means more to me than anything. I get to share this with my family, my kids. I have seven kids. My grandkids will all be there. And to me, when people say, how do you feel about this? And I want the fans to know this, and this is coming from my heart. When that happens on April 14th, I want the fans to feel like they're part of that. So when they bring their kids to the game, when their grandkids, and they say 16 up on the Raptors, I want them to feel and know that they should feel like they're a part of that as well because they played a big part of my career. And to get that day, it's going to be special to me from a personal standpoint. And to tell you a little story, if I can, 
If I start talking too much, just let me know. But oh, no, go ahead. Please. Never, never, never. Yeah. <laughs> so. In 1995, the Mets wanted to cut ties with me, and I understood. You know, I had to go back to rehab, and when I came back, they said, we think it's best you go separate ways. Um, I wanted to make it right with the fans. That was my whole goal. I didn't want to go out like that. So Mr. Steinberg gave me an opportunity to stay in New York. The Yankees were fine, but it wasn't the Mets. You know, I'm a Met at heart. I always feel a Met at heart. I signed the Yankees 96 and 97. After the 97 season, I called the Mets. Steve Phillips, the general manager, and I'm not taking shots at Steve anything. I called Steve and said, hey, I like to come back to the Mets. Any shot of me coming back? He said, "Unfortunately, we have no room. We wish you all the best." I signed with Cleveland for '98 and '99. After the '99 season, I called the Mets again. Any openings now? Anything to go? Sorry, Doc. There's still nothing here. Wish you the best. I signed with Houston on a minor league deal. I pitched one game. I got traded to Tampa, my hometown team. I pitched eight games. I got released. I called the Mets again. Say, <laughs> hey, I'll come back. I'll go to AAA. I'll do whatever you guys want. They said, we've got no room still. So what I'm getting at is all I want to do is come back as a Met and retire as a Met. Even when I went back to the Yankees in 2000, once I retired, I actually can I sign a one-day contract to retire as a Met. I was told no. But now it comes full circle. And everything is about timing. I think the timing is right now. My grandkids, who they get to see me play, they get to kind of get an idea of what it was like when I played and have my kids there because my two young kids didn't see me play. So everything is timing. I'm very grateful. Steve Korn and Alex Korn for giving me the opportunity to share this with the fans and my family. So that's what's really going to make a special day for myself. And I tell you, when, when Steve called me and told me what was going on, I actually thought it was a prank call. <laughs> you, you, you know, you think it might happen, you hear it might happen, but you just don't know. But I'm just thankful and very grateful for the opportunity for this to happen. Absolutely. Um, you know, Bill uh, watched you when he was obviously growing up. And I, I want to ask Bill, uh, his thoughts of, as you mentioned before, watching your childhood idol pitch. Uh, Bill, what was it like? Um, I, I, Doc, I'm a little younger. I, I miss you by just a couple of years, uh, you know, back in the like 86 era. But yes. Bill was there. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering how Bill would sum up when Doc would start. You know, take me through that, Bill. Well, I, you know, I didn't even, I wasn't in New York, but I was in Virginia. We had WOR. So uh, I got to watch the Mets play and it was, it was like NBC says, can't miss, you know, right. can't miss TV. You know, you want to, especially I was a young, a young pitcher, even though I was left-handed and, but I was a Mets fan and a young pitcher and I could not wait to, uh, to get a chance to see him throw every five days. And, um, you know, the closest thing for you would be like when DeGrom was out yeah. there and doing his thing. And uh, those are two guys that I kind of comp, you know, compare each other to with their dominance when they were at their highest level and me being you know sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade when doc was was doing just the special special things that he was doing it was i wanted to i wanted to see it every single time i possibly could just like every new york met fan and um you know if i didn't get to see the game then you wanted to catch on twib notes with uh, mel allen at the, uh, no, the end right. of the week to get to see what doc did uh did special during the week uh obviously yeah. can't miss television yeah um for for a younger f fan, if you will, like me, it started with Matt Harvey, you know, yep. the Happy Harvey Day, and then obviously Degrom. Uh, saw you at the Ranger game earlier this week, uh, you, and you and Matt uh, took a picture. Yes. Um, that that was a really cool picture because you know Matt is iconic with the Mets, and yes. you know here you are. Uh, so uh, that 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 was kind of cool. Were you expecting to you know bump into Matt Harvey at a New York Ranger game? Um, not at all. It was always good to see Matt. I love Matt. And um, 
like like Paul's just said how he used to watch my games when Matt was coming up his first couple of years. I used to mark every fifth day to go watch yeah, his game, yeah. watch live the same with the Grom. And yep. you know Matt had his up and downs. And I was there talking to Matt. I know Matt personally. I didn't know he was coming to the hockey game last night. I just ran into him. Was having a bite, and um, we talked a little bit watching the game. It's good to see he's doing well. That's most important. And um, he had a nice date with him. He said he's getting ready to get married. So congratulations oh, on that. But nice. anytime you see guys that, you you know, I'd say family, man, because guys that play the same organization you become close with, it's like a brotherhood. And um, I've gotten to know Pulse over the years, and, and I love Pulse, man. He's a great guy, always positive energy, and that's what it's all about. And the main thing now is just making sure everybody's okay, the family's okay, the kids are okay. So Sam Matt was great and special, and I didn't know much about hockey. Sample <laughs> Lightning, and for me, it's just about getting out the house. So um, it was fun. Though. It was a fun night. I'm just trying to learn. You know, uh, they they put you on the jumbotron, you know, and you had the Rangers head on. Yeah. They actually, I, I I saw they they made a mistake on the graphic. Did you pick yeah. up on that? Yeah, about two time world champion. Yeah, it said yeah, two time world champion. You're a three time world champion. That's right. They cheated me. You know the thing is. <laughs> They did the same thing. I was at the um, Knicks and Lakers game last Friday, last Saturday, I'm sorry, and they did the same thing. And I think a lot of people don't know, like, like in 2000, I kind of biked over that one because I only was with the Yankees for, like, the second half of the season, like, the last two months. So that's the one they probably missing. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to skip over a lot of things to get back to it because you just brought up 2000 with the Yankees. Uh, your first game back uh, with the Yankees, like you just mentioned, in 2000, happened to be at Shea Stadium, right? Yeah. That was and wild. It was, tell, it, and it was the day-night doubleheader yes. of two ballparks, Shea during the day, Yankee Stadium at night. And it just so happens that it's your first start back at Shea in the day-night. And you picked up the win, five yes. innings, two runs. What do you remember about here you are back at Shea? Oh, man, it was amazing because, like I, like I mentioned, in 95, when the Mets want to cut ties, all I want to do is get back to Shade at one last time and yeah. to try to make it right with the fans. Let them know I was okay. Obviously, I can't redo anything, but just so the fans can see me because I've always felt like a close connection with the fans. And when I signed, when I got released by Tampa, when I called the Mets and they said, no, we got no room, and Mr. Steinbrenner called me himself because I was living in Tampa and the Yankees have spring training in Tampa, and he said, do you still want to play? I said, yes. He said, show up at the complex. If it don't work out, you come work for me. So I showed up over there. I worked with the late Billy Connors, who passed away now. And um, I threw two rookie league games. And I remember the next morning, I come to the ballpark. And they say, Billy's looking for you. You want to see in the office. So I'm thinking, I'm probably going to get released. That's never a good time. I go in the office. And uh, Billy said, how you doing? He said, hey, George, I want to tell you, we need a pitch up in New York. Uh, like It was like a Monday. So like, we need a pitch in New York like Friday. I'm like, all right. And he said, we want you to pitch up there against the Mets at Shea Stadium. I said, you got to be shitting me. I know. Wow. I said, no way. He said, yep. And so I couldn't say I'm not ready, which I didn't feel like I was ready because I had to set out like a month. And then I went through it. But I said, okay, I'm probably going to get Shea, but at least I get to go to Shea that one last time. And went to Shea. I'm warming up in the bullpen. And it was funny because, post, you know, like normally when a pitcher walking down to the dugout to get ready to start the game, it's only the lone reliever or maybe two guys walking down to the bullpen. But it was like the whole bullpen was walking down. So I'm sure Mel said, you guys come down here. It's going to be a short night because I'm warming yeah. up and I can't get nothing. I can't get anything working out. Mel said, try this, try that, try this. And Mel wasn't saying anything for like the last 10 minutes. And nothing was working. But when I walked on the mound at Shea Stadium, it felt like everything just clicked, man. I mean, everything was like, I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. Oof. 
I know. Everything just came together, man. And the fans was nice. And it was like being home again. And you know, I got the five minutes in. And Tori said, how do you feel? I said, I better stop now because I didn't want to push it, you know. Take the five minutes and get out of there. Uh-huh. And to get the yeah. winning stay. That's so very, me, mature, very mature of you. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And the thing <laughs> was, um, I felt like once I got the five minutes, I got the win. I was happy. My career was basically could have ended that day. Wow. All I wanted to do is go back to Shade out one last time yeah. for some closure. I had the opportunity to do that. So um, big hats off to Mr. Steinbrenner for giving the opportunity to do it. Yeah. I, Casey, can I, I say sure. something real quick about what he's saying there? Yeah. It's so special to me because I feel the same way. And I didn't have the same amount of legendary status, or but I was the number one prospect and all that. And for me, oh. being a Met, just like Doc is saying, there's something very, very special about being that. And to hear Doc Gooden say that, after yeah. all of the, all the years and the teams that he played with and all the great things that he did, for him to tell that story, to say he just wanted to be back out there at Shea one more time, that's really heartwarming. Yeah. And that should let people know, even though fans, you know, Mets fans are sometimes disgruntled or they feel like you know things never go right, when you hear it from a player like Doc Gooden to tell you how special it is to wear that blue and orange mm-hmm. and to be a New York Met, it really, really means a lot. To, to us players and that's that's coming from one of the goats of the organization and that's that's really that makes me feel even more pride yeah. about yeah. the fact that i got to to stand on that same mound that doc got to stand on that Seaver got to stand on that ryan got to stand on that sid fernandez all these guys you know we can keep going that's that's really right. really special man i love i love to hear that doc that's, yeah sir, that's yeah. coming from the heart i know yeah. it i believe I, I know it yes yeah, sir when you when you talk, Doc, we feel it too. You know, we we, we genuinely feel sincerity. You know, and, and genuine genuine, uh, you know, all of it. So, uh, you you were mentioning how you kept you were persistent and try to get back to the Mets all yeah. those years, and I, I it's just crazy. You said bananas how you got the Shea to pitch oh, right. of of all teams, and yes. uh, you know, I, the night game. I, I got to just bring up the night game because it's it's a that day night. You know. Any Met Yankee fan, both franchises, don't forget that day. Yes. Car- the uh, buses to the Bronx for the night game, and yes. I think what obviously took over that day was Roger Clemens hitting Piazza in the helmet concussion. That's um, true. My game actually got lost because of that. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was it, a big deal, but when that happened, a lot of people was like, "Oh, you pitched that day game." Because <laughs> of what happened with the Clemens Piazza thing, a lot of people don't remember that Doc Gooden started that day game. I tell you right. what, the, the better story is Doc Gooden starting the day game. Sure. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, brother. That's the better and, story. Hey, 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 Doc, yeah. you were, I wanted to ask you because I, I remember, I think it was at the game actually, um, at Shea, um, yeah. when Bobby Valentine went crazy with the, the interference call uh, with, yeah. what was it, yeah. Chuck Knobloch, I believe? Chuck Knobloch, yes. And uh, uh, like, what were you thinking? I've never, like, that was, you know, it's 24 years later. I remember like it was yesterday. It was a crazy play. I mean, um, Chuck Knobloch was a – I mean, he was a gamer. What we call a gamer, a guy that goes all out, do whatever it takes to win games. And there's a situation where it happened. Bobby Powell was right. But, you know, obviously being on the Yankees, you got to go to our guy. It was just a bang-bang play. Yeah. I thought Chuck did the right thing about doing it. But I thought, you know, now looking back at it, it probably was interference, to be honest yeah. with you. You know, 24 years later, I, you know, the interference call, Doc Gooden back at Shea Stadium, yeah. uh, uh, something that never happens, a day-night doubleheader, two ballparks. And then you have Clemens, you know, beating yeah. Piazza on the head. I'm yeah. not going to ask anybody <laughs> if, if, if you thought it was on purpose, but. I don't, you know what? I don't think it was on purpose, 
but I do think he intentionally tried to knock him down. Send and that happens sometimes because a little bit. You like know, he died over. Plate. Yeah. I think he got caught a little bit. But was Clemens trying to knock him down? Yes, sir. But was he trying to hurt him? I don't. I, I find that very hard to believe. And I had a quick, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a similar situation. So this was 1992, uh, 92 or 93. Derek Bells with the San Diego Padres. They had him, Sheffield, my nephew, and um, Fred McGriff. All three guys are from Tampa. And I'm from Tampa. Wow. And so back then, you know, at the old Murph Stadium, the bullpen was on the opposite side of the, the field. So the bullpen was on San Diego's side. So I'm warming up. And Derek Bell is running the sprints before the game. And he's like, Doc, I'm going to get you tonight. You don't have nothing. I'm going to get you. I'm going to hit it in the mouth. And Mel Stoudemire is there. He don't know. Like, man, Derek Bell, we grew up together. We shared the same backyard. His mom and my sister were like best friends. So I know him since I was a kid. So he just kind of running his mouth. Doc, I'm going to get you. So Mel was like, lock him on his ass. I didn't want to tell Mel I know him because I was sounding soft. So, right. so oh my God. When, I, when I faced Derek, and then plus we had plans to go out that night, all of us, right? So when I faced Derek, I said, I'm going to knock him down just to make Mel happy. And the same thing happened. I tried to knock him down. I hit him in the head. Oh, and, my God. Derek had to go down the first. He came out of the game. Oh, and, oh shit. And, and it happened. And after the game, I called Derek to check on him. I got out of the game. See yeah. if he was still going to go out. But he was pissed at me. You know, so, but it happens. It happens. Yeah. Here's the question. Did you go out with Derek Bell after? The thing is, Derek sold. He said, no, I don't feel good. I got a headache. I'm not going out, yeah. right? So we go out to the club restaurant. We end up eating. Who do we see walk in? Derek Bell. Uh-huh. So I, I get it. He was pissed off. You know, it happens. Yeah. He got over it. He got over it. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's part of the game, man. And guys yeah, don't you, pitch in enough now. Not to hurt guys, to hit guys. We're just pitching inside. I think yeah. pitching got away from that a little bit. It, uh, your stories are great because you're, you're connecting all these nuggets that I have written down. Um, yeah. And uh, bringing up Derek Bell, it triggers a, a question I have. So Derek Bell came over to the Mets in 2000 with Mike yep. Campton. And Mike Hampton, obviously, one year with the Mets, got to the World Series. You know, you you, you know, <laughs> you were on the Yankees. Um, and obviously left, and the Mets got the comp pick for Hampton going to the Rockies. Who was that comp pick? David Wright. Like, yep. hello. So the, the connection here is with Derek Bell, and this is what I wanted to ask you, because this, this blows my mind. I, I, I'm sure you're familiar with this. 1984, they had that January draft where it lasted only two years yeah. in MLB where yeah. players yeah. Uh, were teams protected certain players yeah. um, uh, that, it, you know, only two years because it was stupid or use whatever word you want, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. And the connection here is crazy. They, the Mets didn't protect Tom Seaver. And because Whoa. they didn't think that a, because of his age and the money he was making, anyone would select him. So they didn't protect him. And obviously he was selected off the Mets. You're the minors. You're you're a teenager. Big prospect. That opens. And tell me if I'm wrong. That opens the rotation spot for Doc Gooden. Let me let me tell you what I found out about that. You're around. So when David Johnson was coaching the Nationals, I found out a true story about that, which I'm glad I didn't know in '84. So 1982, I get drafted. I'm in Kingsport, Tennessee, in rookie ball. David Johnson's a roving instructor. So I'm throwing on the side that day, and David comes over, and he's challenging me. He goes, let me see you throw one down and away. Let me see you throw a four-seamer down and into a lefty. Let me see you bike through a curveball. Everything he told me to do, for some reason, that day I was on, right? So I'm making all the pitches he told me. The next year in 83, I go to Lynchburg, and David's the AAA manager in Tidewater. So I started out 0-3 that year, but I ended up 19-4, and, and they called me to AAA for the playoffs in the World Series. I 
pitched the final the um, championship game in the playoff and I win the World Series for him against the White Sox AAA team. David Johnson tells me, whoever he managed the following year, I'm going to be on his team. So I'm thinking, wow, at least I'll be in AAA. I'm thinking AAA. Hey. George Bamberger resigned, who was the Mets manager in 83. He resigned. David gets the job. Now I'm in the instructional league in St. Pete at the time. And I see David. I said, David, remember what you told me? Just joking. Yeah, yeah, you're coming to campus in our roster. But I didn't know, and this is what David told me when he was managing nationals. I was on the field with talking. He goes, You know, we left Tom Seaver unprotected. That was David's job. So you can make the team. Dang. And he knew he knew our team was going to, you know, obviously pick him up, right? So I said, Wow. wow. I'm glad I didn't know that then. I've been too much pressure to know wow. that. Wow. Because the yeah. start that I made in spring training, media would come to me and say, Hey, you had a great game, but the front office think you should go to AAA. Me, like a little kid, I'll run in Davy's office and say, hey, they said I'm going to AAA. Davy said, don't worry about it. You're going to make the team. The last day of spring training, that's when Davy told me I made the team. But it was oh. planned all spring because of what Davy had seen the previous two years that I was going to make the team. He had that much confidence in me. He knew you were ready. He knew I was ready. Yeah. yeah. And that's front office didn't think so because of my age. And I remember, um, I don't know if you guys remember Tim Leary. Yep. Yeah. Big right-hander. Mm-hmm. I guess he had got hurt coming up as a 20-year-old or something like that, but he was out of college. They thought it was over, you know, too much pressure, and he was afraid of that. But David said, no, he's ready. I've seen him. Can I, can I interject and ask a question here? Because this is one of the things that I did want to ask, Doc. Okay. Um, as me, I was older. I was 21. But I was still the youngest player in the league at the time in 1995. And yeah. I was the number one prospect and getting to the big leagues. What I've always wanted to ask you and wanted to wonder is, what did you feel? Because I knew at 21, I just kind of felt like this is kind of the way things were supposed to be happening. Whether I was too young, too old, it didn't matter. Whether I'd thrown enough innings. I always kind of felt like this is the way things were supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was just normal. Did you, at 19 years old, feel the same way? Or did you have apprehensions feeling like I'm too young to be up here? Or did you just feel like I'm ready and this is this is who I am and here, here I am world? Man, honestly, like my dad taught me all my mechanics when I was young. And he coached softball. He coached semi-pro baseball for his team. And so when I was a kid, I used to play on the softball team with grown men. So I wasn't afraid of playing with grown men. And my dad used to always tell me, which was hard to do, he said, once, once I made the team, he goes, okay, when you're facing these guys, make your pitches. Don't pay attention to their names on the back of the jerseys, which is easier said than done because Pete Rose is my guy. How did I know I'm not facing Pete Rose? But my thing was, I was happy when I made the team, but when David told me I made the team, I was a little nervous because I said, wow, am I ready? Am I ready now? What happens if I don't do it? And I said, you know what? Just go out there and enjoy this go hard. So I was the type that I respected everybody, but I had no fear. Right. I said, I'm going to go out and do my best stuff. These guys get me. They got me. But tell you what was funny. So I pitched my first game against the Astros, and my parents was there. And after the game, my dad said, son, what do you, I got the win. I went five innings, five and fly, whatever. My dad goes, son, what do you think? I said, I, I'm good. I should win a lot of games. My next start is in Chicago. I get knocked out in the third inning, give up like seven or runs. My dad said, well, son, what do you think now? I said, I don't know if I'm ready. So that quick, I went from I'm ready to not ready. So probably not until the All-Star break, to be honest. The way you not, felt. When I felt like I belonged. You they belong. have um, Nolan Ryan and P. Rose, my guys. But they have Nolan Ryan in the clubhouse with me and say, man, you're awesome. I can't wait to watch you pitch. You're, you're going to have a great wow. career. And <laughs> To have that gave me confidence. He gave me confidence without knowing he was giving me confidence. And playing against those guys. And getting the three strikeouts in the All-Star game, all that built me up the confidence. And you know, pitching is basically mental. It's all confidence. Absolutely. Believing in your ability and understanding about making adjustments. And that's what really helped me. But it took me probably to the All-Star game to feel like I belonged. Before that, I kind of had doubts off and on. 
but the All Star game. Once I got there and playing with those guys and being in the same clubhouse with these guys, it was a dream come true because I couldn't wait to get home to call my friends to tell them who I faced that night or who I struck yeah, out yeah. or whatever. I mean, that Absolutely. was the beauty of it because I, I was. You just... know, I, I find it interesting that you said something about your father having you play against men in softball and that. I did kind of the exact same thing. My dad did the same thing with me. When I would have my basketball practices when I was in eighth grade, after basketball practice, the, the men would come in and take over the gym and they would play and play yep. pickup games. And my dad would make me stick around and play in the pickup games when I was in eighth grade with the kids that were in their 20s and the kids, you know, the guys that were getting oh, up yeah. in their 30s. So another thing that I kind yeah. of always kind of felt kind of the same way where I, I'm not afraid of the, the, the man. I respect the man, respect, but I feel like I can can mix and mingle. So that's, that's yes, pretty, yeah. I like that story. That's yeah, Your dad yeah. was a smart man. That's a good move. At the time, we don't understand it. Well, I didn't understand it, but as you get older, then you see what our parents was doing. Yeah. They're trying to be the best thing for us. And I'm the same way without, like, like Sheffield, my nephew, he's four years younger, but like in Florida, the weather was great. So you can play baseball year round. And when the season's over, we're playing as different neighborhoods. And I'll take Gary along with us, even though he was a lot younger than us. But once he got to the major at 19, it was the same, same type of thing. Exactly. That's yeah, no great. fear. It definitely helps. Yeah, yeah, that's great correlation there. That's how yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of correlations right there. Uh, Bill, your first start was against the Astros. Yeah. And Doc's Incredible. first start. Oh, yeah, your first start. I still was, I still was old. So we got a lot in common. I didn't yeah. know. I know. I know. Yeah, cool. You know what's crazy is I gave up five runs in the first inning, but I wow. went seven. I went seven innings that day. <laughs> you still give up? You still went seven innings? Still I was five and fly. I gave up two, but I was. I got out of there at five innings. You know, there's some people that say I should have been out of there before the first inning was even over, but somehow I managed to get seven innings out of it. <laughs> you had a good – who was, who was uh, managing the 95? That was uh, – Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Yeah, Dallas. Yeah, big That's Dallas. Right. Dallas is here. Okay. Big Dallas. Yeah, because I had Dallas yeah. a little bit in 94. How did you like I Dallas, Because I, just... I, I actually like – I like Dallas. I thought he yeah, was – Dallas was cool. Oh, he was hey, like, hey, Doc, can you like can you bring up your camera a little? Oh, I'm sorry. Go. Perfect. Right now we can see you. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Only time Dazel pissed me off, you know, in Houston – the last day on getaway day, they had a chicken fried steak. They always put a chicken fried steak out there. And we, we we lost like five in a row, and Dallas turned the spread over. I just flipped the spread over. That's the only time we got pissed at Dallas. He but. ruined your good your, your favorite oh, dinner in Houston. Yeah, but Dallas is a good man. Yeah, he yes. was a good man. May he yeah. rest in peace. Good man. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, salt salt in the wound. He lost all those games in a row, and then he can't oh, get rid yeah, of the good, good food. The wrong day. I mean, the good stuff. He yeah. kicked, turned, turned it over. I, so, yeah, uh, I just thought 84 and that whole draft thing with Seaver, you have the two best pitchers in that's history connected like that, you know, yeah. with Seaver and, and yourself. So That's pretty special. It, it really is special. You know, one time they could have had, the Mets could have had Seaver, Nolan Ryan, who was yeah. there when he was younger, myself and Roger Clemens were drafted by the Mets at a high school, but he went to Texas. Wow. I, wow. Well, yeah, that, Mets that, always had pitching, though. You know that, post. They always had pitching. Oh, yeah. I mean, lately, it's been a little different, but – when we was coming up through the system at every level, pitching, pitching, pitching. I had a lot of pitching. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to have pitching. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you, you brought up, and if you don't mind real quick, about your nephew, Gary Sheffield. Yeah. Uh, what a career. You know, what a great hitter. Uh, unbelievable, you know, Hall of Famer in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually replicated his, you know, stance growing up, like everybody. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people. I'm so gonna, When you finish, I'm going to tell you a story about that bat with him. I'm, I'm finished. So oh, I just ahead. wanted your thoughts on, you know, your nephew, Gary Sheffield's career and all that. Well, yeah, he's a great hitter. And one of the things, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. He's the only guy that has 100 RBIs with five different teams. He had over 500 home runs, over, I think, 1,000 RBIs, over 500 stolen bases, over 500 doubles. 
but he didn't get along with the media, and I think the media has too much power. And the one time Barry Bonds threw him on the bus when he said, me and Gary used this cream. We thought it was something to help us heal, but it was a steroid. And Gary said, yeah, I tried this cream, but he never tested positive for, you know, steroids or anything. And I know for a fact he didn't use steroids. Gary was a natural hitter, man. But one of the things I admire him most, guys he played with always said he was a great guy. He helped my career. He helped me one way or another. I was more proud of him doing that than obviously being in the Hall of Fame or what the writers say. You know, a lot of times players get labeled, and if you don't know the players, and then you get to meet him, it's a different guy. But when the teammates that he played with tell me he was great in the clubhouse, he was great with us, took care of the clubhouse kids, took care of the rookies, that means a lot to me for what he's doing. And um, real quick, with the bat wiggle you are saying, how you wiggle the bat. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like I said, we trained together. We lived in the same house. He's my sister's son. My sister had him very young. And my dad used to train us both when he was young. So my dad taught him this for timing. Um, hold on one second. Somebody's at my door. I'm sorry. Hold on. No problem. You're right. Um, one second. So my dad taught him. Sorry about that, guys. No problem. My dad taught him about wielding a bat. And it was for time. So in 1992. Uh, been good to know. Yeah. I know, right? But you don't hate me when I finish telling the story. In 92, Gary gets traded to San Diego, right, from Milwaukee. Yeah. Every time I face Gary, I'll tell the catcher, whether it's Todd Hutley or Charlie O'Brien, don't put down a sign until I nod my head because I want to see what he's doing the bat. Oh, my God. That? So I had no problem with Gary. I got him out of everything. But he killed everybody else. And they were like, Doc, what's the difference? What are you facing? What do you see? I said, I don't know, man. I'm just getting lucky because he's still <laughs> yeah. down. I didn't want to get it. So, Paul, if you're still up then, I wouldn't have gave it to you. I'm sorry, brother. Because you're still family. <laughs> That's incredible. He hit a ball, a foul off of me. He pulled a ball foul off of me in uh, Dodger Stadium. Yes. In the foul territory, left field foul territory, that damn near went out of the stadium. It was upper deck wow. in foul oh. territory. He was so out ahead of something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a that, that, man. That's a, he that's was a hell of a hitter. I'm going to tell you what, the fact that all this, the good positive things you said about him that had to do with the clubhouse and off the field, that's a, that's a testament to you helping him grow up as a young man too, Doc. Yep. 100%. Yeah, yep. that's a great Thanks. story. And uh, you, I guess not tipping your pitches or tipping your, uh, I don't even know how that. Tipping your swing? Your swing. Yeah, <laughs> swing. Never, yes. but it worked for you. So, uh, yes, definitely. Uh, I wanted, uh, Bill had told me uh, you had a story and I, I, I wanted to get into it just in case we run out of time. Uh, right. and I'm going to parlay this because yeah. you mentioned uh, how uh, Gary was a, a great teammate and all his teammates loved him. Right. Yes. So, uh, Bill, if you could help me out here, there's a little correlation about Gary Carter who yeah. had, you know, uh, rumors about his personality off the field, on the field, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I actually knew Gary pretty well for one year when I was with the Long Island ducks. Uh, yes. he was the manager and he was a great guy. Loved him. But, um, Bill, I, I think, you know, the whole good guy and, you know, like Sheffield, perfect time to, you know, maybe get the story. Well, but the story, you told me a story in camp two years ago about pre, prior to the All-Star game, you wanting to get to know Gary Carter because you wanted to see what type of guy he was because you weren't sure you believed that he was such a nice guy. And if you can tell that story real quick about what happened when you guys got to the All-Star game and before you guys made the start and he, he caught you, obviously, in, a, in an All-Star game for the first time. Yeah, so Gary, you know, when he's with Montreal, you go to Montreal before games, after they hit. Now when our team's hitting, he's signing autographs. He's doing every interview. 
He's smiling all the time. Always smiling, you know, talking to the kids. Hey, Doc, always in good mood. So I'm thinking this guy can't be real. I mean, that's got to be fake. Yeah. And him and Keith Hernandez, they didn't get along too well. So I'm like, man, this guy, I mean, just fake. So I threw one up his chin a couple of times. But then in the All-Star game, I make the All-Star team, and I come out of the bullpen after Fernando. He's catching me, and he come out to the mound, and I'm nervous. I mean, I'm talking to Howard Cosell, and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And now I get in the game, and I'm sweating bullets. Gary's catching me, so I strike out the three guys that I face. And after that, I go in, and Gary say, wouldn't this be nice to do every fifth day? Not knowing that, you know, we're going to trade for Gary. So now, in November, we make the trade for Gary, go to spring training, and he's still doing the same thing. But we go out, and Gary's a tough guy. He comes to my wedding and all that stuff. But the thing was, Gary, I mean, he does all that off the field, like smiling, talk to every reporter. On the field, he's an animal. I mean, he's an animal. And um, the thing I admire, I don't know if I tell you the same story, Paul. You might have to help me a little bit. But the thing I admire most about Gary, he would catch me between stars where normally Mel Sotomayor would catch us or the bullpen catcher would catch us or the backup catcher. Gary wanted to catch me between stars every time. And, wow. And, you know, being a catcher, you're dealing with five different personalities. One guy you might have to pat on the butt. One guy you got to get in his face. One guy you got to make yourself feel better with. Whatever. Gary knew how to do that. With me, Gary wanted 10-plus strikeouts every game. He wanted to shut out. He wanted a complete game. He didn't care if I was up 8 nothing or down, you know, whatever. He demanded nothing but dominance out of me. Not to disrespect other hitters or anything like that, but if we got a couple runs early, Gary wanted me out on the mound as quick as possible. Between us, he would talk to me, and he just wanted me to dominate. And it was crazy because he come get me and come on, dog, stop, you know, messing around, effing around. Let's go. And I'm looking at the scoreboard. I'm like, it's 8 nothing. It's the seventh inning. What are you talking about? But he just wanted me to dominate because, again, it sounds weird talking about myself, but – in 85, the games I pitched, it was bigger than just a game. You know, it's more media there. Games were sold out. It was Doc Day. Was, yeah, Doc Day. <laughs> if he wanted to see that. And Gary was into that. He knew how to get the best out of you. And I admire a lot about Gary. Even as he got older in 88, 89, when his knees started going out on him, he would get to the ballpark at 1 o'clock in the afternoon to get treatment on his knees to catch a 7 o'clock game. Then after the game, he'd sit at the ballpark to 1 in the morning, getting ice and the treatment all that to go home. This guy just wanted to catch me. It was unbelievable, but what a connection, and I miss him dearly. And April 14th, I'm going to have his um, wife there. Sandy oh, was going to be there, too. I'm going to have him on the fantastic. field with me. That is fantastic. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, this is super, super nice guy. And Gone got too soon. Yes. yes. Whoever thought with the team we had, he would be the guy to go first on that team. The one uh-huh. guy that didn't drink or do nothing, right. didn't run the streets, and he left us way too soon. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah well – that I'm amazed from that story. I took one thing out. That is crazy. He caught you in between starts. Like, yeah. you know, his knees were a problem at the end of his career. That's dedication, man. That's he, unbelievable. He, loved you, dedication. Doc. he, loved he didn't want, he want nobody yeah. to catch me. He wanted to be down there catch me. I mean, that's just yeah. much dedicated. I mean, he demanded the best out of me. And it helped me. He didn't want yeah. me to just settle for just being well with that. He wanted every night dominant, dominance. Yeah, well, that, I, that's crazy. You know, you were, you're a legend. Gary was a legend, and for him to do that, you know, that's just amazing to hear because you never hear that. Yeah, um, sure. So uh, I'm going to – we're going to maybe uh, go through a couple of quick questions, and All then right. we're, we're going to get to our mailbag. We had uh, some fans uh, of yours wrote in to us on Twitter, yes. uh, and they had some questions for you. But before okay. we do we do get into the mailbag real quick, I just wanted to uh, uh, get to Shea Stadium for real quick. You obviously pitched there the majority of your career. Did you have any favorite like nuances or like things that was unique to you 
from Shea Stadium that you remember? Only thing I have from Shea was um, uh, not really from the stadium when they knocked it down. I have I still have some of my jerseys and bats, you know, that I haven't I have here, but I didn't keep anything from the stadium. Oh, I meant like pitching there. I meant like actually oh, oh, yeah. pitching. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, like actually on the mound and whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. I got you. The one thing that sticks to me more, and I'll talk about it to the fans that that I like. Anytime I got two strikes on a batter, everybody in the stands was standing up clapping, on the strikeout. And when I see fans, I tell them that worked to my advantage because if I threw a close pitch, I knew I'd have to throw a strike, but just throw it close. If they didn't call it, they was gonna let the umpire know. I mean, that's gonna give them a lot of heat about it. And the hitter don't want to go down looking, so anything close, they're gonna swing. So that basically worked to my advantage. And yeah. I always take that with me at home at Shea Stadium. And you that was were, one of the things that kept me going. You were thinking that at that age all the way back then, huh? Oh, yeah. That's awesome, That's the thing. Man. I had to get credit. A lot of credit. Like, all I knew was baseball. Like, if I had to do something else, I'd be lost. Right. My dad taught me baseball. I mean, that's all we did. Like, he coached oh. Little League, uh, semi-pro, softball, everything. I would follow him around on Saturdays. We were watching the game of the week. And because I lived in Tampa, we listened to the Braves on the radio. Every night, we're right there. I got my chips and um, juice. He got his beer and chips or whatever. And we just watched. That's all I knew. And I knew that I could use that to my advantage. And I'm proud. Certain umpires, you know, there was a strike. I'm probably like, remember Frank Pulley? Frank Pulley, punch. the best. Yeah. The he was best. the best punch. He wanted a punch. And um, what's the little guy? Dutch, I think. Dutch. Remember Dutch the Dutch? Yeah. Those guys, you know, they wanted to strike out. And so I picked it up from them. And then as I went through the league, uh-huh. the umpires. And the umpires, believe it or not, they get caught up in that too. Absolutely. They Absolutely. get caught up in that. They want to bring it's guys. A human, up, so. a human factor for sure. That's right. And so yeah. I just use that to my advantage. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. You know. That's outstanding. Great stuff. Shea, Shea was always Shea was rocking. Shea, yeah. Shea was great. Shea was rocking. Yes, yeah. sir. Uh, real quick, players that you admired growing up as a child, Doc Gooden, and then players maybe right now or recent that you look to, or play, pitchers. Uh, sorry, pitchers. Or players, I guess. Right. Obviously, you're a pitcher. Right. Where you were a child, teenager, and yeah. now. Any okay. Anyone stand out to you? Oh, yeah. So, I'll go back to my childhood. Um, Nolan Ryan was my guy, obviously. You know, power pitcher, the high leg kick. I kind of got that from him a little bit. Nasty curveball. <laughs> Nasty curveball, you know. And um, Pete Rose was my favorite. Um, and only because when I was nine, true story, when I was nine years old, I used to go to all the Cincinnati Red Games. They had spring training in Tampa. Right. And my dad used to tip the the parking attendant so we could park in the players lot. Wow. One day we're walking out. I'm like nine years old. True story. I'm walking out and Pete Rose there. My dad said, Hey, there's Pete. And then he says, Pete, can my son get a picture with you? My dad had one of those old Polaroid cameras, the instant camera where you take the picture, you slide the picture out. Take the picture with Pete. Pete told me, he goes, Hey kid, keep working hard. Maybe one day you'll be with us. Fast forward ten years later, we open up in Cincinnati in eighty four. Pete's come over. He don't know I'm that same kid. He's telling me the story. Like, you know, good luck. Wish you all the best. You had a good money career. And I was telling him the story about when I met him. Obviously, he didn't remember. But that summer when they came to play in New York, my dad brought the picture up. And I had Holy Pete shit. sign that picture. And I still had that picture. And the beauty wow. about that, today, man, Pete are good friends. I have his number, actually. And But when I'm around Pete, I'm still like that little kid comes out. Yeah. Just like me when I get around you, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> then, I would say, and, and my players now, I would say Lindor. It's probably my favorite. Like, obviously, Harvey was my guy and DeGrom. But right now, I would say Lindor because he plays every day. Yeah, he every does. Every day, whether you like him or not. And I tell players, even Little League players, look at it as a privilege to play, to put that big league uniform on and play because 
somebody had to pave the way for you. And there's so many kids out there with a handicap or whatever, don't get the opportunity. So you got to look at it as a privilege and playing. And Lindor, I think he gets that. Yeah, I, I, awesome. I love Lindor. He's a gamer. You know, he shows up no matter what. No matter what, so. he's out there every day. And playing shortstop, that's a tough position to be in every day. Yeah. And then he uh, stands right at his locker after games and answers questions for the New York media. You can't yeah. ask for anything more than he gives. That's true. That's what it's all about, man. Right on. Yeah. Uh, one more before we get to the mailbag. We got a couple questions. So uh, okay. how did – because obviously your number is going up to the Raptors and everything like that. How did 16 come about for you? Was it a favorite number? Was it given to you? Is there a story? You guys did your homework. This is great. So, oh yeah. Anyway, I used to wear number ten in high school. I get drafted in '82, and like we were drafted in the first pick, post probably said they called us bonus babies. When you're number one yeah, pick. yeah. And I get the kids for it, and they got a guy there, Russ Oric. I never forget him. He had been in rookie ball like three years, and he had number sixteen. So I said, um, any chance I get that number? He goes, get out of here. I don't give you. A, I don't care if you're effing <laughs> bonus baby. You're not getting this number. Oh so, man. I said, come guy, give me anything close to. I'm sorry, number ten. He had ten. Thanks for 10. He didn't want to give it up. So I said to the, to the clubhouse guy, can I get something close to number 10, but not 13? So he gave me 16. So I kept 16. The next year I go to A ball, I get 16. But when I went to AAA, I got 28. Now I make the team. I was 64 in spring training of 84. I make the team, and Charlie Samuels, post, you know, Charlie. So he's got my jersey to hang up. He's got number 35 with good on the back, right? So. Once I made the team, Frank Cashin, the general manager, said, if I got any problem with anybody, come see him. Let him know. So I went to Charlie. I said, Charlie is 35. I said, can I get number 16? He goes, get out of here, kid. Just be happy on the team. Oh, God. That's your number. You got your number. So me, like a little kid, like I was going to David's office, I went to Frank Cashin. I said, I want number 16, but Charlie won't give it to me. He went down there and said, Charlie, give him whatever number he wants. But Charlie didn't want to give me 16 because him and Lee Mazzilli was good friends. And Mazzilli had worn 16 for so many uh-huh. years. And he didn't want to give it to me, but then he gave it to me. And Mazzilli came back in 86, and I offered it back to Mazzilli, and Mazzilli said, no, that's your number now. And so it was wow. like, Fantastic. It was one of those situations where you offer the number back, but you're hoping you say no. Right. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. So well, that's you, how you know it was 16, and it just, it just worked out. That's That's, awesome. that, that's another great story. Yeah. I didn't, Tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so right now we're going to go into our mailbag. Um, okay. okay. So – we asked uh, on Twitter, Shay underscore hello uh, is our handle uh, for fans to uh, throw in some questions for you. And all right. There were a lot, but we, and we can't go through all of them. So Bill and I picked uh, a couple, uh, okay. four in total. So uh, we're, we're just going to go right into the mailbag. These are from fans um, and asking you directly. Uh, okay. So here we go. Without all further right. ado, usually I do this with Bill and all the questions are for Bill. Um, all right. But uh, today it's for Doc. So uh, we'll start with Bill's buddy, uh, JK, uh, N-Y-M-G-I. He asked Doc, I was wondering besides Gary Carter, what catchers did you enjoy pitching to? Well, I would say I'll give you two. Charlie O'Brien was one of my favorites as well. Great guy, called a great game, communicates well. And I like I like catchers that like to talk to me, communicate. Like if I'm not batting, they're not batting, when they're talking, what's working. How are we going to approach the next series? And his setup, I mean, great target. Yeah. yeah, we're always on the same page. And then the other one, I have to say, Joe Girardi, because the only no hitter I threw, he caught it. Oh, yeah. I got to go with Girardi. And, um, and I got that poster signed, personalized, Doc. Yeah, that's right. Vinny got for me. Uh, you know what? I love that you said Charlie O'Brien, because you pitched the two guys that I think had 
two of the best targets that I've ever seen. Oh, man. And Charlie O'Brien and Gary Carter. Just yes. tremendous targets. And nowadays, because you watch, yeah. what they don't they don't show the target anymore. They don't right? show the target so down on one knee. I don't understand that stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if changed the whole game. Uh, but I love that. I love that, that you said those the target, the, the word target. Because Casey, Casey and I have had this conversation uh, oh, about yeah. pitching. So yeah, I you love know, it. You got to have that, man. Definitely. Yes, sir. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you for the question. NYMGI. We'll, we'll move to uh, Jimmy Labs. He goes, so cool. Hey, Doc, how did you develop the best curveball I've ever seen in my life? Well, I got credit to my dad. My dad was, a, and one thing I regret before my father passed to find out where did he get his knowledge from because. He grew up in Georgia. My dad had a third grade education. You know, he had to get a job and all that stuff, but he self-taught himself how to write, read, taught my mom the same thing, but he loved baseball. And like I say, he taught Gary about his stance, the bat thing, timing, and taught me about pitching. He felt like it was how you throw opposed to what you throw for his mechanics. Like I was nine years old. My dad taught me a curveball where I wouldn't teach a kid how to throw a curveball at nine years old because, you know, ligaments are still developing, muscles are still developing. But he taught me that curveball since I was nine years old because wow. he thought if your mechanics is right, you'll be fine. And I mean, I was fine, and it worked that way. So my dad taught me the curveball, taught me the grip, taught me everything about the release point, the high leg kick. He taught me all that as well. So all the credit goes to my dad. Awesome. Goes to your dad. Good question. Great answer. Uh, we'll move to uh, Stacy Hustle Diva One. Uh, she's got a two-parter. Right. So uh, she goes two-parter, one. Having won the 1992 Silver Slugger Award, how much emphasis did you place on hitting while being so dominant as a pitcher? That's a great question. I used to love to hit. Um, coming up as a kid, I wanted to be a hitter, but my dad thought I was going to be a better as a pitcher because of my size, which he was right, pitching my ticket. But I used to love to hit. I took a lot of pride in my hitting. Um, we used to, like when we were going on the road, a lot of us go out early to take BP. Mel would let us hit the day before we pitch. We're going to cages certain days and hit. And a lot of times when I was pitching, I would say, man, if I can get through this inning, I get to hit again. So I would look at uh. it that way a lot of times. So I played both parts, and I would play games in my own head that when I was in a batter's box, I wasn't a pitcher. I was a hitter because that was always my dream. So I took it very, very serious, even like bunting, running bases, the whole nine yards. And I had eight home runs, so I yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, you have? You could hit. You could hit for sure. Yeah, you, I, 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 I remember. You stood I, on the wrong side of the plate, though, but you could hit. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Uh, off, you switch I, hit a little bit too, right? Didn't you hit right-handed in the big leagues? At yeah, I hit right-handed a little bit. Yeah, Sucklup yep. hit me. I hit, I hit Sandberg, and then Sucklup hit me in my arm. I had to come out of the game, and then Davis, that's it. You just batting righty from now on. I remember that. I remember yep. that. So I'm like, man, okay. But it was fun. Hitting is fun. Yeah. Uh, her second part of her two-part question, uh, out of all the accolades in your career, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Silver Slugger, four-time All-Star, uh, 16 games, complete games in 85. Which of those, and the 16 games she points out is rarity, complete games now these days, out of all those accolades, what are you the most proud of? I would probably say the 16 complete games because that year I had the 16 complete games. I pitched four nine-inning shelves that same year where I got no decisions. Would have been 20 complete games. Um, so definitely going complete games, that was my thing because when I started, my pride and goal is to try to complete the game as best I can to get a team a chance to win. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I, Fantastic. Great, great questions. And again, great answers. Oh, uh, yes. 
and we'll we'll move to the uh, the final question of the mailbag. And again, right. if you're you're listening on all podcast platforms uh, where, where we have audio, uh, drop us a like, comment, and of course subscribe. Say hello, media on YouTube, uh, and of course we do the mailbag every podcast. Last question, Doc. You ready? Yes. It's another two parter. Uh, okay. He actually, you've met him. He's at Fantasy Camp. Um, avid listener of this podcast. Hey, Doc. He's Jeff Cohen. Um, writes in 1984 and 85. Your teams were in a race with the Cubs and the Cardinals. Which was more intense to play against? The Cardinals. The Cubs in 84, you know, we had a young team. Um, we hadn't got Carter yet. And a lot of guys coming, like I was getting experience, not knowing if I was ready yet. You know, it was strawberry second year. So we had a very young team. But within a race, we finished second. Back then, there was no wild card or whatever. And we knew our team was coming. We was coming. It was close. But in 85, against the Cardinals, we was right there to the end. We had to sweep them in the last series, but we lost in one game. But we won 98 games that year and had to go home. So oh, man. that gave us a whole lot of experience, and the fans started coming to the game. We knew 86 was going to be our year because of yeah. what happened in 85. But 85 more intense. We had a lot of fights with the um, Cardinals. Right. We had shared the same um, spring training complex with the Cardinals. A lot That's of right. fights, a lot of B games with the Cardinals. So they became our robbery, yeah. and that was definitely more intense. And they were a heck of a ball club around that time, oh, man. too. Yeah. And I hated it because one of my weaknesses was holding runners on. And when I faced him at Bush Stadium, it was a track meet. I mean, it was hard. Oh. <laughs> yeah. With Coleman and McGee and these guys. Yeah, man, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, it, so, yeah, Cardinals. I remember big rivalry there. Um, yes, sir. Uh, is it true? Uh, the off topic. Davey said opening day or spring training back after 85 where you won all those games, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, did he say we're winning it all this year? And, you know, that speech. Yeah, we won't about big margin. What happened, like. When you go to spring training, normally the general manager talks. He introduces the manager. Manager introduces the coaching staff and the trainers, whatever. David was the only voice. He said, look, this is our year. We're going to win it, and we're going to win it by a big margin. We basically won it and still had September to go. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so he kind of manifested it, and he was right. Yes. Yeah. All right. He had. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, he did. He sure did. Uh, and his second uh, part of his two-parter, he he goes to fantasy camp where Bill and you are, you know, there as coaches and, you know, legends and all that. Uh, yep. His question is, how much do you enjoy fantasy camp? I was there one year. It was the best time of my life. Congrats on number 16 being retired. Oh, man, I love it. Last year I made my 10th straight year to let you know how much I love it. Wow. Um, I, I enjoy it just as so much as those guys. You meet new friends. You get to see a lot of guys you play with, a lot of guys you played against. And like I say, it's like a family. It really is. And I'm not just talking. But it's two weeks. I go there for two weeks every year. It's a good break. I love the game. I love talking baseball. And those guys are really your true fans. I mean, those guys love it. And to hang out with them at night, we do different events. King Record is my favorite. And it's just a great time. And we have fun. We bust each other chops. And just be there. And it brings back a lot of memories when we played. Obviously, we out helping them. But it's just fun putting a uniform on again and hanging around. Like, like posting these guys who I didn't get to play with. But getting to know them personally, know their families. That's what it's all about. And I look forward to it every year. And even better, you get to hang out with the one, the only, Bill Pulsifer. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, he keeps everybody loose, man. I'm glad he's down there. I look forward to seeing him every time. That's what you got to have, somebody that keeps it loose and bringing that positive energy every day. Thank yeah. you. That's what Thank it's all about. I, I'm blessed. I've, I've, I, can't, I count myself blessed to be able to, to go down there every year and put the uniform on, just like you said, and, yeah. and get to see – the fans, like you said, these are true fans. They love they love us, and we right. love them, and it's a, it is a family, and it's it's a special right. thing. 
That's right. It is. Definitely. So that wraps up the, the mailbag. Uh, before we say our goodbyes, uh, Bill, I wanted to ask you, uh, at fantasy camp or, uh, wherever it might be, how cool is this? I mean, I know we talked about it earlier in the podcast. It would be like me and DeGrom, like Doc said, you know, Doc's a legend. You don't just get number, your number retired for no reason. Um, for you, uh, we do our podcast every week. And like Doc said, right on the money, he keeps the podcast loose. I'm the one, you know, with all the questions and, you know, <laughs> ruffling feathers right. and, and Bill, you know, joking around. So yeah. my question, Bill, how cool is this? I mean, Doc, you're, you, you are, you light up the room, you're a legend. Bill, how, again, just how cool? Well, obviously, they, I, the words really can't describe it. Uh, you have to act normal. Uh, <laughs> your, your idol. Yeah. Luckily now through fantasy camp, uh, we've got to know each other a little bit more and I'm a little more comfortable. I've always been comfortable, but a little more see him as, as a brother and a, as a peer, as, as opposed to just the unicorn that he is, because this is very, very special for me. It's very, very special for a lot of people. And Doc Gooden has meant a lot for a lot of people. And um, he means a lot to me. And this is very, very special. And I, I want to thank you very much doc for for coming on here and spending the time with us and it truly is special for me to be able to, to call you a friend that's right i appreciate the kind of words man feelings are mutual definitely yeah, thank He's you good man well thank you you too thank uh, you, buddy. well well put bill um that's gonna do it for episode 24 uh doc you were our first guest and we did it we waited perfectly we couldn't have a better guest than you so wow. Thank you. We, I, I want to genuinely, sincerely thank you for coming on the Say Hello podcast. Um, and I, I can't wait for your number to get up there and be immortalized forever. You are a true Mets legend. Uh, do you have any final words for the fans that are listening right now? Anything you want to get out? First of all, thank you guys for having me. Good luck with you guys' podcast. You, do, you guys did a great job. You guys made me feel comfortable. And for the fans, keep watching. These guys know the game. And they do the inside work. And um, – they're doing a great job, and I'm definitely going to be a fan of you guys' show now. And for the fans, I love you guys. I look forward to seeing you guys on the 14th. For the ones who be there and the ones who can't be there, I'm sure you'll be there in spirit. This won't be happening without the support you guys have given me. So I really appreciate you. Well put, well put. Well, again, that's going to wrap up Episode 24. I want to thank Doc Gooden for joining us. Of yes, course, sir. Bill Pulsifer, my co-host, Stephen White, uh, behind the scenes, our producer, and uh, – Get there on, what is it, the 14th of April to uh, see that number 16 go up there forever. Uh, So that should be great. So for Stephen White, Bill Pulsifer, Doc Gooden, I am Casey Lynn, and I am saying so long until the next episode. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, Doc. Sorry to keep you, bud. No, no, you're good. Appreciate you, brother. Love you.